Hey everybody! <clears throat> Hi! <laughs> What's happening? I don't know if you caught my gaff there in the intro. Our lobby music, uh. as I call it. I usually pull up a game, a walkthrough on YouTube, and play it. This one, uh, I all of a sudden had a narrator. It was Pokemon Red, and it had a narrator. And, um, dick. What are you narrating for? We just want to see you walk through and play! The game. Yeah, no one wants to go on the internet and just hear some random guys talk about nonsense. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I hold on. Barry is finally texting me. Ah, uh, what I. Barry, we're yeah. trying to work here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just because you completely tubed your show doesn't mean you have to tube ours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was happy we weren't on that show tonight. Nope. No. Nope. 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 Um, okay. We're 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 back. Uh, new rad years in the the deep winter months of 2022. Ah, Do you think yes. that would be something we were saying when we started recording this in 2016, Squeezer? That's kind of ooh. Wait, are we really coming up on 16? So we'll be six years in uh, November. Jeez, that's kind of ridiculous. Not yeah. like we're older than your kids. Yes. Uh, wait. Let me think. Almost, just shy. Just shy. Like uh, six months. Uh, younger. Did you just like? I, uh, I don't know okay. why. I don't know why I thought this would be a good idea to start this show with a six-month-old. But mm. well, it was it was my idea, and I roped you in on it. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty much, hey. And, uh, I was like, I'm, just, uh, I'm starting an Instagram. And originally, it was going to be a YouTube about my action figures, and there's a few iterations till it became what it is. And if you listen to the first episode, it, it was very scripted. And um, yeah. then we just kind of... Structured and, like, the education and informational. Like, hey, we're going to teach you about Batman action figures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then all learning went out the window. Uh, and then it turned into me pandering people to like us, which worked out. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes. I I offered free stuff. Buying people things. Swag. And... I offered swag to whoever would give us a review. Uh, we got two on, on YouTube. Uh, one severed therapy said, so my Android wielding ass can't rate or review on Apple Podcasts. So I'm left to the drudges of YouTube to share my extreme love of this show. A friend of mine told me about it a couple years ago, and I binged the entire thing through Spotify. Yet an a- another avenue where you, one cannot rate or review, but you can now. You can rate us. You can't review us on Spotify. So if you listen on Spotify, go on and give us five stars. Uh, we're the, I mean, you can't listen to Neil Young anymore, but you can listen to us on Spotify. <laughs> and we won't share any nonsense. We're not, we're not, we have no uh, values or morals, so uh, we are not taking our show off Spotify if, if Spotify <laughs> doesn't do anything about whatever Joe Rogan's saying. In fact, if they want us to say things that go against our moral code, if we were to have one, we will say it. Yeah, if we want, like, but we're not going to we be, want. we're not going to, yeah, we're yeah. not going to. I'm all, I, you know, I don't think they should censor Joe Rogan. I think no. you have to be smart enough to know if what you're listening to is nonsense or not. So, like, and that's why you're all here today. Yes. 
So anyway, I digress. He goes on to say, I will say that my life has been changed dramatically since I discovered this show and found myself buried under a festering pile of disdain for my parents who threw away all of my toys <laughs> and other knickknacks from my childhood. With those firmly in my grasp, I would have been able to fully appreciate what Arcane Squeezer do every week. With that being said, I love the show and I'm not whoring myself out for a few stickers and I'm not above whoring myself out for a few stickers and pins. Also, this is very important. I have an unnatural attraction toward the lunch lady. I need more lunch lady in my life talking about food related sexual actions in which she wants to participate. These few precious moments when she's on the show help me forget the sadness and misery of losing these fantastic moments from my childhood. Jokes aside, the show is phenomenal. I loved every second of it. The voices, the silliness, and the fact that you guys are just having fun while you record. Truly, thank you for everything, and I look forward to the next show. Well, you are a sweet, sweet boy. That was very kind. And that's all it is. It is us just having fun. When we start taking this seriously, that's when it's going to suck. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Close caption 765 wrote, these two, these two life-altering, childhood-ruining, mental complex-creating things from one of RK's picks in this episode. The Batman with the gray and white camo and winged glider thing. I distinctly remember begging my mom for it and Toys R Us convinced it, it could actually fly because of the box art. She was like, okay, JD, I don't want to hear you upset if it doesn't do what you want to do. Toys R Us was about two hours away. Five minutes after opening and reading through the instructions, my heart was broken. I never believed anything being advertised since there was always a catch. Second, I hate the Bruce Wayne custom coup. Coop. I shot the missile like maybe five times and lost one. I spent the next few hours looking for it, panicking. Couldn't find it. After about a week, my mom wrote the company to get a new one at my distraught request. I never shot those missiles again. I still to this day get panicky if I lose something. Sorry for the novella. Uh, you don't have to read this one next week, RK. I'll understand. Well, I did. And I we get your pain. You should have put that at the beginning of it. To tell us not to bother reading it. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I was going to read it no matter what. Yeah, well, still. Um, and then uh, let's go to Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and I'm... and look, the, the, the custom coupe was a very weird... It, it clearly had no business being in the Batman toy line. Like, it could have been with anything else. They were like... They probably had the car mold from some other line. Yeah. And they were probably like, well, let's just paint the Bruce Wayne figure purple and make people, you know, completionists want to get the purple... Bruce Wayne yep. and put it with the vehicle. Um, I mean, I had it, and he's right. Like, there's no. I don't know. It's just weird. Why would Batman have that? Oh, Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Yeah, well, yeah, but he's, no, he's, he's Batman. But if you're Bruce Wayne, you have the Batmobile. Yeah, but you can't take that out in public. Well, you also can't fire rockets out of the side of it if you're Bruce. Well, maybe rich oh, people can see, do whatever the yeah, fuck they want. Exactly. All right. So uh, JQ Messer writes, my weekly dose of nostalgia and gives us five stars. Listening to this podcast is like hanging out with old friends from my childhood. Arcane Squeezier are the friends you missed from school. Every week I'm reminded about something I haven't thought about in 25 years. I especially love when they talk about Batman Returns toys. Thanks for all the hard work, guys. You betcha. Um, and On Cross 7 writes, very good show. Double explanation mark, Squeezer. Double. Ooh, mm-hmm. one for each of us. Yeah, well, it's taking two for me, but I guess if you want okay. one of my explanations. All right, no, 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 it's no, 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 no. Oh, no, you need I your, like, we... okay, no, it's fine, it's fine. Gives us five stars. 
I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and this show goes into topics from the era that I grew up with. From reminiscing about old video games, toys, movies, shows, etc. that I remember growing up loving, to talking about how these things affected their childhood and giving a rating about their favorites of all of them. Giving it, yeah. This show brings, I know how to read, I swear. This show brings me back to a simpler <laughs> time as a kid and reminds me of the greatness that we all experience. They also start the show by talking about shows and movies relevant today, which anyone can relate to. They're easy to listen to, and following their stories is fun to relate to. I mostly like when they talk about old days, retro video gaming, and when they do the annual Christmas vacation watch along. Overall, it's a very good show. I think anyone who gives it a listen will surely get hooked. Well, thank you Aww, to everybody. Thanks, that's kind. And if you, I sent all the stuff out, so everyone who who emailed me that they did this is getting a some swag, some of my pins, stickers. I have some two XL T-shirts, uh, and I have some black Joker Goon Squad hats left over. So just write a review, show me that you gave me the old five stars on Spotify. Uh, or give us a nice uh, YouTube comment, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's all you got to do. Um, oh, hold on, I accidentally clicked the link while I was clicking through the YouTube reviews. Um, speaking of show reviews, uh, I have not because we work tonight. I did not get a chance to watch Book of Boba Fett, and I'm assuming you didn't either. I did not. No, I was uh, didn't get a chance. Tried to sneak it in, but I'll watch it tonight after the show. I heard it was a very, very good episode of The Mandalorian. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't hear, but I saw a clip that said something of that. And good, I'm, I'm ready to take a break from Book of Boba Fett and go back to Mandalorian. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, uh. So that's, I mean, and then uh, are you caught up with Peacemaker? Yes. Uh, yeah, we're foreign, yes. right? I said in the I said in the group chat, the Goon Squad on, on Instagram, that it my, it's my favorite. And Enchantress took umbrage with me saying that. She's like, well, you loved uh, WandaVision. It was so good. I'm like, WandaVision was great. And don't get me wrong, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful show mm-hmm. and wonderful piece of art. But this is fucking great. Yeah, it is. And it's because, look, everything else was a superhero movie or show. This is just... Uh, well, no, you can't say that about WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision was not like anything you've ever seen before. It wasn't like anything, but it still it was very... It still took it serious. Yeah, but that doesn't like necessarily... the overall story. And then, no, because there is, like, life and See, death. See, here's, and... here's the difference. I think what Peacemaker is is more of a superhero show. He's like a living action figure. Like, it's like, we're not taking ourselves too serious. Yeah, like, no, no, yeah, no, fun. it's being told from the perspective of, like, a, a 12 or 13-year-old. Yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of fun. And I can't wait for the next four episodes. I'm just wondering, we're, we're at the halfway point, plus a book of Boba Fett. I'm wondering where the hell that show's going. Uh, hopefully it starts today. going somewhere. Not having seen today's no episode, but um. Anyway, that's that's all pre information I got. Um, I have some news, everybody. Uh oh. Um, we've put together so the lunch lady being the third chair in the show. 
We put uh, together a few pieces. We found old tape of actual interactions between the lunch lady and little squeezer. I like uh, how it's we when you just told me about this 20 minutes after <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Yeah, well, well, we, Dougie and I, I, I was telling Dougie, how you, we were talking about how you never answer me when I do lunch lady and you just Because I'm busy either being uh, horrified or laughing. And I, I am one with the audience. I said I should just do both voices. So part of the shtick of me doing both voices is saying we found actual tape. Because how would Little Squeezer be able to interact with a lunch lady in 2022? This would have to be back in 19, like 92. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, she wanted to hit... Res- uh, okay, all right, come in. We're going to play the oh, clips. Yeah. So, Hi, everybody. Hi, Squeezer. I don't Hi. want you to get upset with this, all right? I had tape. I would record mainly video, you know, anytime you came in, in case anything happened, you know, so I could have it for later. And, yeah, with that video recording was mainly audio recording. So I called RK and I said, hey, you dumbass, do you want this audio so you can, you know, play it for Squeezer so he doesn't have to get so embarrassed and try to talk back when I'm on the on the horn with you guys? <laughs> and he said, sure, sure, we cut it up. So here, I'm going to set up the clip for everybody. This is from 1992, and we're getting ready to show the class a video of All Dogs Go to Heaven. And Squeezer came to me for, you know, a little treat. So here we go, here we go. All right, I'm going to play the clip. Uh, here we go. All right, everybody. All right, sit down. Sit down. We're going to watch the movie, the film of the dogs going to hell. All right, everyone sit back. Uh, I'm going to turn the lights out, and uh, I'm going to go back into the kitchen uh, while you guys watch. All right. It's the lunch lady showing us a video. Hit play. Because your teacher was out. God damn it. Don't ask questions. How is this legal? Hit play. And now I'm going to go back into the kitchen. Oh, oh, hey, little squeezer. What are you doing back here in the kitchen? Right along, lady. I was wondering if uh, you gave us all popcorn. <laughs> and I was wondering if uh, you had any extra butter back there so I could put it on my popcorn. Really, yeah, if you could just fill up a soft, a soft drink glass full of butter, that'd be ideal so I could dip and pour. Oh, squeezer. Oh, I have butter, but it's all cold and solid. I'm going to have to find a way to heat it up, but I don't want to fire up the oven or the microwave. We're going to have to use our body heat to heat it up. And nothing because body heat more like bare skin. Uh, I guess so. Is it salted butter? Because that I'm willing to take my shirt off for. Oh, it's salted, all right. All right, I'm going to jack my moo off, and I'm going to put it in between the folds of my stomach. You get over here and you just put your sweet little cheeks on it and start melting it. Uh, well, first I'm going to have to find a vessel uh, back here to uh, capture it so I can... What I like to do is popcorn, butter, popcorn, butter, and then have an extra butter for dipping. Uh, I'm going to be so covered in melted butter, you'll have enough butter to dip for the whole feature. They'll be to hell and back by the time you're done with their butter. Well, uh, teacher, they're going to heaven. I'm sorry, lunch lady. Um, why I'm back here, you don't have any trays of hoagies, do you? Ah, I do, but hold on, all this butter talk's got me hot. I gotta go. You go sit and watch the movie, and I'll catch you when the butter's ready. All right, go on. Ah, thanks, lunch lady. Bye. That's actual live tape 
from a scene that happened. And I thought it was relevant because you were watching an animated movie. So, do you remember and when they, that happened? You know, it, I do. I I do remember that. And because we, we're walking back together, and I'm like, lunch lady. Why are you recording the the foley sounds of your feet while we're walking back to the kitchen? She's well, that's like, what worry, that's what it'll pay off thirty years from now. <laughs> that's what taught you to be thorough. <laughs> you got it from lunch lady. Yes, I knew. Like, it's all about yeah. It's all the pre production. You can't edit something you don't have. You know. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know why she stopped recording. You know when you, what happened? Did you go back and get your salted butter for your popcorn? No, no. She brought it out to me. Oh, what a she brought sweetheart. out with a, with a tray of hoagies. Yeah. Right, let's get her commentary on that. So, so lunch lady, uh, 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 do you, how many more of these these videos do you have? Enough to go along with the topic you have every week. <laughs> <laughs> That's foresight, lunch yeah. lady. It's, yeah. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't even like these are so disjointed. It doesn't even seem like they're written down or anything. It feels like they're just coming off the top of someone's head. That's just so crazy. I don't believe it. But you know, it's real and it happened. And and oh, little Squeezer, he was adorable. Oh, I had this video of him saying how adorable he was. Yes, I was uh, sort of like eat the cat. Nah, but I did not date Annabella, and I did not run away from Sharky. Goodbye. Oh, he's so sweet. He's such a little butterball. Speaking of butter, I've got some melting right now, Squeezer. If you have any popcorn, feel free to dip. <laughs> all right, I gotta go, everybody. But and I, I was told to give shout-outs to every all my fans on the show. You all wrote in and said such nice things. So I, I hold on, let me see. I got a list of names here. I got, I've got work to do. I'm thinking of going on Cameo, Squeezer. Oh. Unless you want to start an OnlyFans with me. No, I'm, 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 I'm good. Thanks, actually. I'm not one for being in front of the camera. You know, I'm kind of shy. Okay, if you insist. Um, let's see. Quinn was it? Quinn who said he loved the lunch lady. Uh, no, he doesn't love the lunch lady. Someone here hid it. I should have made a note of it. Um, it was it, Matt. I keep getting all these updates to some work calendar that's getting in the way. I don't know. I, I'll give you a shout-out next week when we start our OnlyFans, huh? I mean, our cameo. What do you think, Squeezer? <laughs> Could you help me make content? <laughs> oh, that's so gross. All right, well, I'm going to go for real now. Bye, everyone. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Trying to bring you in on a business venture like that. It's very kind of her. I'm glad she saved all that evidence. I mean, all those memories. <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess, you know, normally we talk for a half hour, but it's been about 20 minutes. So I think by law, we can't start the show yet. Should we just kind of lay out for a bit? and? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't want to go on comicbook.com and, like, get any news because uh, I didn't want... Uh, spoilers book of boba fett spoilers well, who gives a yeah. fuck like really yeah i mean uh but there are some junk foods i guess you could talk about Ooh. there's a new thing like silk like like you know like the impossible meat yeah it's called like impossible milk 
and um, it's a blend of to make to make it be like creamy and thick. <laughs> oh, God. I know. Um, I mean, I think if you, it's called Next Milk, whole fat. Yeah. And it's a Next it's milk. A, a blend of oat milk, soy milk, and coconut milk. Um. Yeah. Silk boldly declares this alternative tastes so rich and creamy you won't miss dairy. Mm. No. <clears throat> right, until you can make cheese and like good cheese out of it. Yeah, good cheese. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to hear your fucking like like, like real fancy ass cheese. That's because milk is just a conveyor for other good things. Like like cheese and cheese yeah. sauce. Like and... cheese and cheese sauces. <laughs> and, and you know, and mashed cheese, potatoes. And cheese product. And, uh, yeah, cheese, cheese-based products. Yeah, well, cheese product is when it can't be called cheese. Like, Velveeta's not cheese. It's cheese product. No, a cheese product. Even Cooper Sharp is a cheese product. Yes, right. Technically not cheese. Yeah. But it's delicious. It's, it's the so full of emulsifiers. Of the Uh, it's so full of emulsifiers, you know, yeah. to stabilize it. Oh, but it's so good. So good. All right. Um, now we can start the show. All uh, right. I go first with my... Like, I'm not going to have poutine with... Oh, wait. Did you go first? Who went first last week? Next milk. Uh, shit. Snow days. Sooner later. Do, do, do. I don't even know. Well, I could figure... I think you went first. Did I? Oh. oh, I did go first. Yes, I did. All right, so it's your turn to go first. Here's Squeezer. Oh, fun. First animated movie on our second animated movie show. This rescue team jumps back into action with an all-new adventure. Here we go again. This time, Bianca and Bernard <laughs> travel to the land down under. Welcome to Australia, man. <laughs> To rescue a kidnapped boy and a magnificent eagle from an evil poacher. That's awful. That bird's gonna make me rich. And around every corner, there's mystery. Oh my gosh. Danger. Out! And Disney excitement. Yeah! I can't see any way out of this one. Bernard, please hurry. Soar into adventure in the most breathtaking rescue mission ever. That's a fabulous idea. And you'll find it here exclusively on the Disney Channel. It's the action-packed, heartwarming tale the whole family has been waiting for. <laughs> this is my idea. Join us for the world television premiere of Disney's The Rescuers Down Under. How do we have the one show, I think, in the world where we talk about you being molested by a lunch lady and go immediately into a Disney promo? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, she was... Wait, is that what that implied? No, nah, I mean... I yeah. thought she was just getting me some melted butter for my popcorn. Well, privately. I mean, yes, that's all mm. she was doing. All right, continue. Tell us about Rescuers Down and Eh. Uh, so I, I, this movie gets a bad rap. Well, it's not uh, as good as the first one. That's why. Really? You think? I think it's better than the first one. Really? Yeah, I don't like the first one at all. Actually, you know what? No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. This one's better. This one's better. Because John Candy plays the bird. Yes. Yeah, and he's way yeah. funnier. He plays his cousin. Oh, it, Oh, he's hilarious. He is, if you were to, like, my favorite parts of the movie is just everything with John, every John Candy scene, every Wilbur scene is the best. 
And they took um, from and they took a movie which was seemed very outdated and 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 made it updated. Because what yeah, was well the... they 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 took care took advantage of that Australian exploitation. Um, mm. That that was so hot. Didgeridoo is right yeah. at the same time as a crocodile, honey. Uh, they have so yeah. John Candy uh, was Wilbur who replaced Orville because the guy who did the voice of a voice of Orville had died prior to this. But and I think it's for the better because he makes the whole film. Um, the the just the meeting of him and then him just going through his stretches and his takeoff scene. Um, all his little dialogue playing up, like being the captain, the hospital scene where he gets his back fixed, uh, him sitting on the eggs, um, the landing scene when he tries to land and they flip over and he, they, on the backside of the checkerboard, they have like a bird chart, like the, what size it is and he gets to albatross and it's like the biggest and there's not enough room to land. And they go through this whole physical comedy shtick of him trying to land on top of the roof of a of a like an RV of a trailer home. Uh, he, he's easily my favorite thing in the whole movie. And then Joanne is a close second, uh, who is the the Goanna, is it Goanna the lizard for uh, McLeach. Uh, and the, there's a whole the egg scene is just fantastic. George C. Scott's the bad guy. He's got a lizard. And there's this this back and forth while he's trying to like come up with this plan. Meanwhile, his lizard is stealing his eggs. Uh, 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 technically, he's a reptile. I don't know. Is, is lizard the proper? I don't want to be wrong here. I don't want to upset my zoologists. Um, but yeah, Bob Newhart and Eva Gabor uh, return. This is her last movie. She uh, passed away um, after re- recording it. John Candy came in. George C. Scott plays the bad guy. Um, Frank Welker does the voice of everything that doesn't have an actual speaking role from the eagle to uh, Joanna the Goanna. Um, some, the guy from General Hospital is Australian, and he plays the Australian guy. Um, I, I love this movie. It's, it's really it's so bright and colorful especially because it's you know down under compared to the the original i just felt was so dark like and it was like yeah also because the that, whole that bog scene of, at the end yeah yeah it was down the bog it was always like dark and dreary and sad and also that animation at the time is where they would use that um like it, everything was real sketchy because it was really heavy and dark lines because the way they uh like animated and like transposed the cells. I forgot what they called it, but um, it 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 had this really just dire, dreary look to it. And this is just so bright and beautiful. And this is the first movie that was completely produced using caps, which is the computer aided press uh system. Hmm. It's it was. Um, so what would they would do is they would draw it and then it would scan it, basically take a picture of it, scan it in, and then using that drawing, they would digitally uh, ink the, the, the sketch and then digitally paint it. And this was the first movie to use that entirely. They used it the first time in Little Mermaid at the end for the rainbow scene, but this was the first movie to use it for the entire production, which 
actually makes it the first digital film ever produced. Uh, well, they used which, my first movie. When did this come out? Uh, this was 90. See, mine was earlier than that, and it has some digital scenes in it. Well, no, they they use digital stuff, but this is front to back, every scene, every frame. Oh. It, it, it's, it's a digital, a truly digital feature. Um, but Because, like, it wasn't the first time they used this. They used it in Little Mermaid. Um, and then this was, they used this then throughout the 90s. Uh, that they, they used it throughout, like, the Renaissance period, and then... They phased it out as they started going completely CGI 3D, uh, leading into the dark, dark 2000s. Um, uh, sadly, this movie gets a bad rep because it's like the bomb of its generation. Like this came out, it's like the first movie of the Disney Renaissance, or the second movie of Disney Renaissance. You get Little Mermaid, but then you get Aladdin, uh, Beauty, uh, Beauty and wait, the Beast. wait, is that true? I thought the Disney Re- Renaissance started with Katzenberg and um, uh, what's his name? Which my next movie I thought was the first uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Black Cauldron was the last one. That Black was- Cauldron was like the end of what would they call it, the Bronze Era, right? Or whatever, or or and no, the- no, they they consider that up to like eighty eight. A lot of it, it varies, but a lot of people consider like the Little Mermaid in like '88 the beginning, and then it's like basically the '90s is the Renaissance. It's not. It's not a hard line. Yeah, I a guess. lot of people like a lot of people like to add Bolt into uh, the modern era of the Second Renaissance or the whatever they call in this one that we technically are probably out of now that Eisner's gone, but. Um, Yeah, it's uh, with a uh, uh, what is it the princess and the frog, and then tangled and stuff. Then it started back up again. But like the between like ninety nine and like two thousand ten, it was just ooh. it was I I consider it was even worse than what they had in the eighties because oh see I uh, with the the emperor's new groove I love that movie. Yeah, that was all right. All was... right, it's better than most of the shitty fucking musicals they put out. Well, you hate musicals. You absolutely abhor them. Uh... I mean, absolutely abhor them. I'm just not the biggest fan. Mm, you hate musicals. Um, sadly, it gets a, a, a bad rap because it didn't make nearly as much. And I think it's got a lot of heart to it. It's very. It, I think it's a great movie. But the problem is it didn't make any money. Because I don't know what they what they thought they were doing. It's like almost like they didn't give a damn because they put it up against Home Alone. Mm. But they, I remember when it and, came out because it came out in like November because it had those cool little um, McDonald's toys, the little film cameras. Yes, they were fantastic. Very cool. So they they were starting up. They pumped a little money into it, but then it opens up against Home Alone, which everyone knew. If you had a brain and you were in the business. Lilo and Stitch you is knew okay. this was going to be a monster, like mm-hmm. all, all the lead up, all the testing, all the marketing, like every all, the survey said, Home Alone is going to be the juggernaut. Don't get in its way, mm-hmm. and they released it directly against it. It 
failed miserably against. They only made forty-seven million total. I think Home Alone made that in like its opening weekend or some shit. Um, but the second it failed at the box office, like opening weekend, they pulled all the advertising. You're like, that's it, we're done. It's not going to make any money. It's over. <laughs> like if they would have just a simple release at a different date, I think it could have had a much different outcome. I think it's it it held up much better in the long run on like video release eventually like people found it and love it well there uh, was much there like was i did what 23 years between the movies coming out yeah 1977 uh, so. 1977 and when the fuck did the yeah yeah 90 90 so yeah 23 uh, so years. 13 years 13 years i can math 13 yeah. years damn yeah, man it seems so longer 1977 anything before yeah. the year you're born seems like forever ago and then, like, all these kids are like, everything you talk about seems like forever ago. Yeah. But they don't listen to us, so they don't know what we're talking about. So I'll go fuck e- e- Even though uh, 1977, is that not much Is not much earlier than when I was born compared to the stuff I'm talking about with some kids that we have to work with? That it's a lifetime, like, more than their lifetime ago is what we're talking about. Near double their lifetime ago for some of them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I love Rescuers Down Under. It's one of my one of my faves. I I giggle. I got like a little kid at every uh, every Wilbur scene. John Candy was just hey. He had two fantastic movies come out on the same day. So <laughs> the Kenosha Kickers. Yeah, come on, try it, try it, try it. Not for you. Okay. <laughs> All right, um, time for my, which I believe is the first movie of the Golden Age, my first pick. Walt Disney Pictures presents an all-new musical adventure, Oliver and Company. It's the story of Oliver as only Disney could tell it. It's the sounds of Billy Joel, Huey Lewis, Ruth Pointer, and Bette Midler. It's a magical musical adventure only at a theater near you. It's Walt Disney Pictures, Oliver and Company, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspaper for showtimes. Now, this is the kind of musical I could get behind. Billy Joel, Huey Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There we go. Um, This was the first movie produced under... Eisner and Katzenberg, and the movie that came out right before Little Mermaid. This was '88. Mermaid was '89. And oh yeah, I, I, I'll allow it. Okay, Squeezer's allowing it. Okay, we're good. Um, I had no, I had no idea until today. Uh, this was based on Oliver Twist. Wait, really? Yeah, no clue. I only saw this movie like the last summer or two summers ago. Uh, I, was... I honest, I didn't either. I just learned something. Oh. Yeah, I didn't. We, so she showed it to me. She's like, "Oh, I love Oliver and Company. We should watch it." So we watched it, and I was like, "Oh, that's not bad. It's pretty good." Because I think we watched the Aristocats. Yes, she wanted to watch that, and they're doing a live action remake of that. I wish they'd stop doing these live action remakes of the. Yeah, no one wants them. <laughs> no. Um. So this was based on the Charles Dickens story, Oliver Twist, and I had no idea, but it's it's cute, and um, it's a little little orange cat, and it befriends Dodger, who is Billy Joel, 
the mean bitch cat uh, poodle in the house is Bette Midler. And there's some, there's, it starts off with the, and it's all set in New York city too. It's really cool. And they did something that I learned, uh, that they learned from uh, lady in the tramp, which they went and shot a lot of like film and pictures in New York city at the dog's perspective, like with a camera, like at, okay. from a dog's perspective. So, so the animators could get an idea of animating from the dog's perspective. That make, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Cheech Marin was Tito, the Chihuahua. <laughs> um, Dom DeLuise was Fagin, of course, because Dom DeLuise was in every animated movie. Um, Joey Lawrence, young Joey Lawrence, was Oliver, the orange Whoa. orphan kitty. Yeah. Um, so it was the 27th animated film and the first one to begin production under the new dream team of Michael Eisner and Katzenberg after they left Paramount Pictures where they brought in, you know, Indiana Jones and basically Indiana Jones, <laughs> the, the Spielberg pictures. Um, so they had like a, a pitch meeting thing they called the gong show. It was infamously known as the gong show where animators could pitch ideas. Ron Clements pitched The Little Mermaid and Treasure Island in Space, which I think they made, right? Uh, yeah, that came out in like 2000. That was kind one, of the, one of the death nail to... Yeah. Uh, uh, and story artist yeah. Pete Young pitched Oliver Twist with dogs. So 2001. This, this movie was written by Jim Cox, Timothy J. Disney, and one James Mangold squeezer. You Go might ahead. you might know him best from a little movie called Logan that he directed. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm like, I know the name. James Mangold uh, started with his first ever movie he wrote was Oliver and Company. Then he would go on to write and direct Girl Interrupted, Copland, Girl Interrupted. Uh, He did Kate and Leopold, so he was a big uh, Wolverine guy. Um, He did Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, The Wolverine. Uh, We'll we'll forgive him for that. Um. (laughs) He did Logan, he did Ford versus Ferrari, and he's directing the next Indiana Jones movie. The untitled fifth Indiana Jones picture. Ah. Spielberg wants nothing to do with that. <laughs> and we don't want anything to do with it, him do it, to have anything to do with it either. Yeah, it just it needs some needs fresh a new, eyes. Like a new Indiana Jones? No, no, because it can always be Harrison Ford. You do know, like that that aging technique is flawless. It looks so good. So there's no reason to not, you know. Yeah, like that uh, Scorsese picture. That ugh, so weird. Yeah, it's not awkward at all. Um, but uh, some good songs came out of this movie. Squeezer, Billy Joel's uh, "Why Should I Worry." Um, great. Great song. Uh, Once Upon a Time in New York City was the opening song by Huey Lewis. Uh, and the, the all the five songs in the film were Streets of Gold by Ruth Pointer, Perfect Day Isn't Easy by Bette Midler, and Good Company by Maren Tran. Oh, they should have done Bad Company. Mm. Yeah. Bad, you know, bad Company. I think you're right. I, I will I'm not saying that I approve this and therefore it... it, it it's a good it's okay. movie. I liked it. But no, it is a good and movie. And it made tons of money. And for I them. think when you look at it like quality wise, the animation is a step above 
everything else in that generation. Maybe Great Mouse Detective you can add in there too. <clears throat> but I think there was something I was reading. I'm like, why do they cut the line at Little Mermaid and like after Oliver and Company and then Little Mermaid? It's because they a lot of people look at it as they started getting back into the princess game here. Because uh, that, that, that's where like they kind of see that as like the classic uh, fairy tale, whereas everything else in this time period was very like secular and like m- almost modern. Well, they came. Um, Oliver and Company came out the same day as a little movie that we were seeing instead of Oliver and Company, uh, A Land Before Time. Oh, that's a good movie. But that's Oliver good, and Company. That's a good animated movie. Made 121 million at the box office off a 31 million dollar budget. Hey, it beats uh, fucking Black Cauldron. So that's great. That's a lot of money. Yeah. No, I know. Um, hold on. What did land before time? Uh, okay. Here's the marketing for it. So Oliver and Company premiered theatrically on November 18th, 88, the same day in which Disney celebrated the 60th anniversary of the Mickey Mouse short Steamboat Willie. Uh, it also the it's also the first to be released as part of a brand new schedule requested by Katzenberg, which called for a new animated Disney film released every single year, similar to Walt Disney's intention for his animated features in the 1940s. Uh, it was Disney's first animated film to include real-world advertised products. More than 30 company logos and brand names were in the film. Kodak, Dr. Scholl, Sony, Diet Coke, Tab, McDonald's, Yamaha, Ryder, and USA Today. However, the filmmakers commented on ABC's The Magical World of Disney that this was done for realism, not paid placement. See, I kind of... That's a double-edged sword, and I agree with that. I kind of want to see that stuff, but I don't want it... I want it to be natural. Mm -hmm. You know? Like not and almost like like the fridge in Swordfish when he opens it up and it's just full of Heineken. Like I've seen that in real life, you know. Yeah, at your house. <laughs> Katzenberg urged the marketing campaign to focus on the classic Dickens novel and the pop score. And promotional tie-ins included Sears, which produced and manufactured products with themes inspired from the film, and McDonald's, which sold musical ornaments based on Oliver and Dodger and small finger puppets based on the character in a Happy Meal. For its theatrical re-release in 1996, it was accompanied by a promotional campaign from Burger King. So I hit them both, the big two. Uh, Land Before Time. Okay, so it said Oliver and Company and Don Bluth's Land Before Time opened the same weekend. The latter debuted at number one, grossing 7.5, while the former was in fourth, grossing 4 million. So, um, Land Before Why do they have to say ladder and former and make me think? Well, Land Before Time made more on opening weekend. But Thank you. Oliver and Company did outgross Land Before Time um, with $53 million compared to the ladder's $46 million. <laughs> Wait, so there is a ladder? Yes. All right. Um, your second pick, Squeezer. Morning. The following offer is for mature audiences only. Exciting, mysterious, intense, graphic, provocative, raw. This is no ordinary animation. This is the exotic, bizarre, and beautiful world of Japanese anime. 
and this is your invitation to enter with the modern classic Akira. Critics say Akira makes Blade Runner look like Disney World. It's action-packed, the future of animation. Siskel and Ebert call it the video pick of the week. Akira is yours for only $4.95 with subscription when you order the best of Japanese animation collection series. With these state-of-the-art sci-fi classics, you will enter a world beyond imagination, a future out of control, and an experience you will never forget. Don't say we didn't warn you. Call 1-800-414-4422 now to order Akira for only $4.95 plus $3.79 shipping and handling. Future volumes are $19.95 plus shipping. Mature audiences only. Hmm. I've never seen it. What is Akira? <clears throat> um, it, all right. So I even watched it last night because I hadn't watched it in quite a while and I didn't understand it then and I'm still fucking confused now. Um, but there are these little, like, goblin-looking kids that have been twisted since they were young. Cause is they this got the cyberpunk thing? Yeah, it's it's very cyberpunk. Um, it's a Japanese anime. It was, came out in 88. Um, and there's, uh, motorcycle gangs and stuff, and this guy, Tetsuo, like, gets, like, bumps into one and gets powers and turns into this revolting mass of flesh at the end and... I don't know, it's gruesome and gory, and there's a lot of action in between long stretches of me losing my attention span. But it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and that's what hooked a lot of people. And there, So I went on the internet, I'm like, why is this movie so good? And the general response from the internet is, you're an idiot. It's not good. It's so overrated. It sucks. So that's general consensus. Was that a there. voice you just put on there? <clears throat> no, I was. That was me reading the internet. It oh, just okay. naturally goes that way. It just makes you angry. Um, but yeah, it was a two-hour-long feature-length, like nothing that you saw in the West at the time really looked like this. It was more cartoon. If it was of quality, it was a Disney cartoon, and if it was more of an action film. It was in the uh, vein of G.I. Joe, the movie, and Transformers, and Saturday morning cartoon uh, commercials. This was for adults. It was extremely violent, um, really gory, and for the time. And then there's stuff since that, you know, much worse. So. Um, but it... it was a moderate success in Japan. Like, it wasn't this huge thing over there as it was. I think it was even bigger here. Um, and it's because it got bought up by a distribution company. They released it in the U.S., then they released it on tape, and it kind of just found its way into the zeitgeist and really was a big introduction. And, and people became a subculture that people started getting into. I dipped my toes from time to time. I'm not a huge fan of... The genre, and I know very little. And every now and then, I'll just check something out. I like the models. They're fun. But, um, yeah, this is one that, like, because, like, I saw it. Like, the, the advertising for it. It was on Sci-Fi Channel a couple times. Um, but, like, and it was at Blockbuster. So, like, that's when I rented it and I checked it out there. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. But I still don't know, like, it was above and beyond my brain cells. Like, you actually have to think. Watching it, and I, I just, I don't have that in me. Um, it had a huge budget; it was roughly like a ten million dollar budget, 
and like six companies at the time and this is like 1988 money um it was like a conglomerate of like six companies pooling their money to fund this project because I, I don't know how it works in japan i don't it's not necessarily the same thing like with movie studios where that's all they do kind of thing. Not that that's the case anymore. Now it's everyone just makes movies, but, um, and it's based off of the, it's based off of the, the manga, which is like 2000 pages. It's ridiculous. That's the other problem with the movie. A lot of stuff isn't explained because it's only like half of the story. And the movie came out before it was actually even completed. So there's a lot of like holes and a lot. If you're not paying attention or like read the book, everyone's like, you should read the manga. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I Hmm. I don't even read books. Yeah. I listen to them. And how are you going to read a manga backwards to forward? That's that's tough. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a little slow and all over the place. But like I said, it's absolutely gorgeous. What they did. First of all, in advance, they recorded all the dialogue first, which they did in the U.S. for a number of features. There was a rarity in Japan. They would normally animate it and then voice it to that. In this case, they would record it and then they would animate the mouth to match the voice. And because they spent so much money, they produced over, uh, I think it was like 160,000 cells or something, which... When you look in the style of animation, because then everyone's like, oh, they throw that number out. There was a video that kind of yelled at me for even bringing this number up. But that, like, Snow White had more. But it, you have to look at, like, what they animated more. Like, whereas, like, in Snow White, like, simple movements, like, the, you, the, there's, like, a little more fluidity and, like, body and stuff like that. Whereas, like, it's a little more still in the anime. But all those cells that they used were in other things like their mouth moving and stuff like that. So it's more, more detail in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shot. It was shot 35 millimeter, uh, at 24 frames. And they nearly, uh, there was a lot more like, you know, you understand, you know, like the ones and versus twos and threes and things with animation. Like, yeah, like it, it, it normally like even your average Disney movie is 12 frames and they double everything up because to actually even do 24 frames for 24 frames, it actually starts to look robotic. It actually looks strange with animation. Right. But to, what they did was there in all the action sequences were like shit's blown up and it's really intense. They did a ton of ones more than any other film. Mm-hmm. Um, and jumping back and forth it created this look and it just looked really smooth and and shiny and really just looks really good i i I suggest go if you want i'm not saying go watch it i know you don't have it i don't have the attention span for it it can it i just watched it last night and even i'm like i don't know what's going on i'm so confused i'm so dumb but visually i'm just like wow this looks great Hmm. um it's worth just popping in and checking out some stuff. Uh, and it also created like the whole cultural, like so many, ads, like you'll, you'll see things and you're like, Oh, I know where that is from. Like South park even ripped off when Cartman becomes that revolting. Uh, even they even cause like, Oh, I became an Akira, even though technically that's not the Akira, but I, don't, I digress there, but it's, uh, it, it filtered its way into, you know, 
the zeitgeist. Uh, it used a lot of CGI for a lot of like the lighting effects and the streaks and stuff. Like a lot of like lens flare that you would normally see that you can create with a normal lens on a film because there's actual light entering the lens. It's a little harder in animation when you're drawing something to create that lens flare, but they used a CGI to create these lens flares to make it feel like it's more like an actual film. No, we just and use, it does. It, we just use Andrew Kramer's optical flares, and we get that that uh, JJ Abrams lens flare. No yeah, problem. Shine a flashlight down it. Yeah, optical flares on After yeah. Effects. It's a plug-in. Well, yeah, now. <laughs> This was 1988. <laughs> uh, and there was... Uh, 17,000 frames to... Uh, I was trying to do math, and I was just mm. working myself into a shoot. Um, Goddamn, pal. Yeah. You're working yourself and, yeah, into a shoot. It, yeah. Uh, it was just... In- Aha! <laughs> Gotta get on IcoPro. <laughs> uh, the, the biggest thing... Help you math. I think was... Thanks, Finn. You know, he's still working out at like 3 a.m. after Raw and SmackDown. Goddamn, pal. Of course I am. Ah, you know what gets you? Those long, smelly farts. It's the uh, protein. I, I registered a cool... I started a cool-down workout as I sat down here to do the show because I was going to be 10 minutes short and ruin my streak. It worked. Use the cool-down because it doesn't think you're doing anything. Just this... It's the put you in whole Vince point of this exercise and thing. Next to you in a frame... He's what, like 80 years old? Yeah. I can uh, still something, yeah. jiggle my titties. He can kick my ass. Um, Let's see yeah, the it's, puppies, it's, pal. It's, God damn. <laughs> Thanks, Vince. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's the detail in the drawings, too, that really make it something special. It, it is. It's very special. Mm. Um, well, you're a special boy. And a I am boy. a special boy. I still um, don't know what the hell happened, but. All right. Uh, just like the last pick, I'm doing something very, very similar, just way, 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 way better and more successful. This one. <laughs> <laughs> Some call this next my next pick the best animated movie ever made. In theaters this Friday, experience the motion picture phenomenon that has won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film from master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. Critics have hailed Spirited Away, an animation triumph. Imaginative, mesmerizing, and hypnotic, it's the film Roger Ebert proclaims a masterpiece. Two thumbs up for Miyazaki's Spirited Away, rated PG, in theaters this Friday. Ah, Spirited Away, the movie that I, I told the story after I watched it on this show. I saw it for the first time maybe last summer or last spring because mm-hmm. they're all on HBO Max. And I was like, what the fuck? Like it's something changed. Like my life cha- altered from seeing that movie Aww. It, in like a way it was so profound. And, and it's so like – I don't know how to explain it. So I've watched – in the past, like, six months, I've watched tons of videos, like, people describing what is so special about Spirit Away. Because it's tough to put your finger on exactly what it is. Uh, the story alone, uh, and, and just, Hayao Miyazaki is just, in studio, uh, they say Ghibli, but I, th- I thought it was, they, they say Ghibli, I thought it was Studio Ghibli, but 
I don't know. The movies. I saw three of his movies. I've seen Princess Mononoke, uh, My Neighbor Totoro, and Spirited Away. And My Neighbor Totoro itself is is another one that could be on the list um, for one of these shows. As a, mm-hmm. as a girl in the Japan post-World War II in 1950s, uh, mother dying of cancer and like uh, like it tells a story of her, her – my neighbor Totoro tells a story of her grieving, of her mother dying. Her dad – her father's grieving and her mm-hmm. dealing with it. Her mother dying. But, I mean that does scream rad years. Uh, I think we can have a good time with that. Right, but these are like like we're like Dom Bluth broke us. <laughs> I know, I know. And then like like in Japan, they're like, we've been broken for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Jesus, Christ, I don't think you can do that now. I can. Um, well, here, here's the thing. When I was looking for movies, I was just going year by year. I don't mean to cut you off on your pick, but I was going year by year. Yeah, yeah. Like animated films, like starting. I started in like 1977 and just worked my way through. And what I did was, all right, I, the easiest way was I categorized it by country and then scrolled down to the U.S. and then bump, and then say, like, all right, add those to my list and then narrow it down from there. The amount of animation that was coming out of Japan as far as the late 70s and early 80s was insane. And then you look and the quality of it puts everything in the U.S. to shame. This studio, this movie... Blows away any animated movie that's ever been done in America, and it's it's it blows away any animated movie done anywhere, not just America. It won the Academy Award for best animated feature. Uh, let's see what it was up against. Um, Rock a doodle. God damn, it was up against Treasure Planet. <laughs> oh yeah, that uh, was a massive bomb. That's Treasure Island in space. We just talked about that, right? Yeah, that that's what pretty much shut down like Disney's animations, like Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, Lilo and Stitch, and Ice Age. I mean, it could have gone against the best of the best. This, and this was this was one of the first time, um, a foreign language like animated movie like was nominated, let alone winning. Uh, it's it's like the, the, to go, to go in about the themes and what makes this movie so good. And like, uh, Miyazaki was like, I know what I want to make. He wanted to make a movie. He would always vacation with his his friends and their their uh, daughters in this home in the mountains. And he wanted to make. They talked about him making a, a film for these friends, these these young, young girls that they would like. And um, I don't know. He didn't. He wanted to like 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 really like immerse himself in. Uh, he read tons of uh, uh, shoujo manga, and uh, those are like Japanese comets, uh, comics, like targeted to young women at the time, mm-hmm. like romance novels in America. But like, you know, uh, so he knew there had to be a rom. So the romance, like, in this is, so he took this like, oh, I'm gonna do romance, and made it like, m- like profound and talking about western culture and the parents driving the audi and like like eating it so much they turned into pigs then the whole bathhouse scene and the polluted river spirit um i don't know it's just you got to see it and the the music too like uh, the american m- pictures especially uh music uh like we'll see like a scene happening in a giant like orchestral 
uh, scene, like a score is, is involved in it. And this is a very like, like five keys on a piano, like do, do, ding, 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 ding. Uh, and it's, it's very, and it, it like guides you through the story in a way that no movie. And like, I, I'm telling you, like, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like I was like, Oh, my, my, neighbor, my neighbor Totoro was good. And I, I thought it was a deep movie that I can't believe, uh, they were able to convey through a cartoon. But then we went and watched that. Uh, Enchantress was like, let's watch Spirit Away because she loves the suit spreads, the little black fur balls that are in the movie. Oh, is that, I have no idea what those are called. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I know of their existence. Yeah. yeah. They're in a lot of the movie, the Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, but she's like, let's watch Spirit Away. And I, I at the end of it, I was she fell asleep because she's seen it before. But at the end of it, I was like, oh, my God what did i just watch this was fucking incredible how did i not see this when it came out like this is this is fucking insane and it's heavily influenced by japanese shinto fo- uh, shinto folklore uh and kami mm-hmm. which is the religion and the gods and they're in the land of the gods and it's very much dwell on like like time and changing and i don't know there's so many like themes and 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 the music and I, i'm just really uh traditional Japanese culture, Western consumerism, environmentalism, in this fucking cartoon. <laughs> it was made for 10-year-old kids. Uh, John Lasseter was such a big fan of and a friend of Hayao Miyazaki. When he saw this, he knew Disney had to be like a part of it. And uh, um, what's his name that we just talked about? Fucking... Uh, Katzenberger was like, oh, well, if you like this so much, why don't you want to produce the American version for it and we'll distribute it? The reason why it wasn't a bigger deal in America is because since Studio Ghibli wouldn't give up the merchandising and character rights to Disney, they decided uh, not to put a lot of money into to, uh, gotcha. to marketing it. Yeah, so fucking shit. But it wasn't, it wasn't about the art and culture? No, I mean, John Lasseter, who is a, a, a hero of mine, was all oh, about sure. that. But yeah, but, but Disney in its own said that since they, they couldn't market the movie because they wouldn't give up merchandising and character rights to Disney. And it's hard to market a movie without those, is the line from Disney. Yeah. It is spoken like a true, like true empire. It is the highest grossing movie of all time in Japan still to this day. Thirty-one point six eight billion yen as of twenty twenty. Also, all-time attendance record in Japan, surpassing sixteen point eight million tickets sold by Titanic. It's the first movie to gross more than two hundred million in worldwide box office, excluding the United States. Wow. Well, and that's the other thing too. They look past. Uh, this will come up in one of my other picks later like they look at animation differently you know yeah. they, they look at it it's a, a medium not like a genre well it is a medium i think we look at it like that too right uh y- yes and no like there's plenty of people like because it's a cartoon it's a cartoon and i'm a grown-up i'm not gonna watch it i think that's dead that's how it used to be that might have been 20 years be. ago there's still there's still uh, with our generation yes but there's uh, you get a little bit older. There's a lot of people that still you know 
Like, I'm not going to watch a cartoon. God, I've, we fucking see them in the theater still. Oh, I know. Because they're fucking great. Again, yeah. I know. Um, all right, well, let's move on. Enough me. All right, from your one life changing uh, cinema experience for you uh, to, uh, to mine. Let me point out that uh, in a show about the 80s and 90s, yes, these, these came out in the 80s, 90s, and the f- first four years of the 2000s which we consider rad years, but I've only seen both of these, my first two picks in the last year. (laughs) Here's your third pick. Far into space, far into the future, newly discovered riches have brought back the wicked ways of the Wild West. It's getting a bit too hot for comfort on the new frontier. Meet new friends. No, no, we don't have any new friends. Uh, there's another minute of this, so we're gonna. Yeah, no, it no. I, my intention was for you to even pot it down after he says "Brave Star." I'm not expecting you to play it all for me. Uh, I actually had to double check and make sure this was a real trailer. <laughs> this is a real movie. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it 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 was it came it was released in March of '88. Um, do you know what came to an end in February of 1988? The Brave Star show? Yes. Um, so, Brave Star was Star Wars before Star Wars was Star Wars. Meaning that after, like, everything you know about Star Wars, they come out with an origin story after the fact. Oh. That's what this was. The whole movie's in, like, a spot-on origin story. Like, the, the Brave Star is a child at the beginning. Um, and it, uh, a lot of it is rehashes of stuff that happened in the show. Um, we even talked about one episode um, with like uh, with like 3030. Like there's this whole scene, like a, a, a f- f- uh, seven minute scene in the movie that is ripped right out of uh, a 22 minute episode of Brave Star. Same thing with the origin of Tex Hex um, and a lot of shots from in the town. It was intended for this to come out first and then the series was going to drop. But the whole Brave Star thing was just a jumbled mess from re- time frames and releases to figures coming out early and then dropping the show. And then the movie just nothing was – nothing functioned properly. Um, it it drives me nuts because I really feel like there was potential here for something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. I am a big fan of Brave Star. Oh, yeah. I heard that. Um, yeah. 
And I, I was very excited to bring this back. And it is bombed horrifically in theaters. It oh, this made it to money. theaters? Yes. Wow. Very, very limited release to the point where if you search for it on Box Office Mojo, it's not there. Hmm. Um, it doesn't even show up. The big problem was, much like they released Rescuers Down Under against Home Alone, and Home Alone was the number one movie of that week, Brave Star got released in, on March 18th against the number one movie that week, and it was a monster, and that was uh, Police Academy 5. Ah, oh, that is a monster. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, how do you compete with, um, uh, what was that? The, their next, no, not their next assignment. That was two. They go on vacation. Assignment Miami. Oh, that's the weakest assignment one. Ah, it I is. It's the worst out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. God. Because um, they yeah. switch back between Mauser and Lass- uh, what's his name again? Yeah, it was very, like, who are these people? Like, no, it was, like, Citizens on Proct- Patrol is, a, uh, no. is Harris. a fine they, craftsman. They switch between Harris and Mauser. It was Mauser, then Harris, yeah, Harris, yeah. and... No one, like, everyone loves Harris. Yeah, we want Harris, not Mauser. Harris, not Mauser. Mauser, yeah. Because, uh, ha- ha- uh, yeah, Harris was, like, a, he was an asshole, but he was kind of silly. Mauser's just a dick. Right. Um, and then, and then City Under Siege is just... The best. A fine work of art. Yeah. It's the best. It is absolute perfection in Police Academy. It's where I learned how to um, curse without cursing. I like how your brother chimes in. It's like, Miami! Crapple? Oh, he's on, he's on the chat. I'm not watching. Yeah. Oh, I am clearly so uncultured on foreign films that all I can picture right now is Kill Bill. Oh, I didn't even know Chris was on here. Yeah, he knows my Chris was... We, Chris and I, after we saw Six, we would say Crapola. You know when his, his uh, ice cream cone falls? Yeah. When they say Crapola. Like that crapola. Was, oh, I said it all the time. It yeah. was the only thing we could get away with, Crapola. Oh, these are my dad's favorite films. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's an origin story. It's uh, This did give us, what's his name, though? Um, uh, oh, the uh, uh, I can't think of anyone's name. Uh, Lassard's uh, nephew. Oh, we're still talking police academy. Yeah. Oh, Matt McCoy oh, as uh, Nick Lassard, who was then the head of who took over Gutenberg's role, who played Lloyd Braun on yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah, this, I was gonna say Lloyd Braun. I was. I just wanted to call him Lloyd. Yeah, this movie introduced Nick Lassard uh, because yeah. they couldn't get Gutenberg because they were doing Three Men and a Baby. I mean, I would. I do that too. Um, we should. We definitely still, need to have an all police academy episode. Uh, just a police academy show. Put it on the. Add it it's on. on the list. Yeah, I mean it's going to be a lot of rehashes because we talked about so much of it. But yeah, I can just talk about all the why movies. it deserves it. Yeah, I haven't. I got to go back um, and watch them again. Visually, this movie looks great. Um, it, it gives you the same planet opening as in the series, which I always loved, like the, the music score, um, and then the floating through the planets, giving you a little bit of exposition and then throughout the movie, a lot of exposition. I, I was just like, um, what are we talking about again? Bra- uh, Brave Star. Brave Star. Uh, the movie. Yeah. Um, sound mixing leaves something to be desired. Uh, it, it truly does sound like a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, same like three sound effects over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they reused a number of shots from time to time. They're, uh, they're seen with the, the bad guys flying out of Stampede's base, and they use that same shot of them like flying by like three times. Uh, they uh, there's a shot of a building, and I, I'm, I'm so I'm watching it, I'm, I'm rewatching it, and I see this one of the skeleton uh, beasts like stomp on this building, and I see it happen. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna look for that again. Mm-hmm. I don't know why in my head I'm like I'm gonna look for that again, and like three minutes later there's an attack on uh, uh, on the fort st- taking place, and like three minutes go by and all of a sudden the exact same shot of the skeleton uh, steer beast stomping down in the exact same building just reused it like three minutes later. Uh, you know you got to keep those costs down. Got to keep the costs yeah, down. It's filmation. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- the one thing I like about it is Tex Hex is a formidable bad guy. He, he's not like in the cartoon. There's some episodes he gets a little silly. Um, I mean, he's no Mumra, but at least he wasn't a complete bumbling fool like Cobra Commander kind of thing. Stampede's an awesome bad guy. The animation for Stampede is really impressive. He looks really cool. Real scary, real like formidable um, villain, and and worthy of like a, a movie. I don't think this ever needed to be released in theaters. Uh, this sounds like if like GI Joe did a a mini series, you could have split this up, or direct to video, or really, it shouldn't have had to have been. Well, I get why they made it as an origin story because the intent was for it to come out first, and then it didn't. And they reused a lot of that in the show, and then rehashed it here. So it was kind of old news. Mm. So you could have gone bigger on uh, that front. There is, um, they use some CGI in it too. Um, for '88, it was pretty cool. Like uh, the some of the effects and stuff. Um, and it blends pretty well. And there is one thing that really stands out. And there is a scene where it gets a little a little uh, mature. Uh, where Bravestar and JB have a little embrace after he does his, like, you know, mm. sexist man thing. Grabs her, kisses her, and she's like, mm. And then she grabs and kisses him back because, ooh, this is, this is hot now. This is, that's okay. Um... <clears throat> But then he's basically saying, like, hey, let's go, you know, brand this thing. And she's like, no, we have, you know, a a, a town to protect and everyone's going to die. If we go bang, everyone's going to die. We'll do this later. Um, And so he he gives her a kiss. And then um, Uh, you're not MacGyvering this, are you? I'm not MacGyvering this. I, yeah. I, I kind of half forgot where I was going and I kind of half remembered. Um, she starts walking away. She's like, I'm going to go get get ready for the assault. And he looks at her as she's walking away and goes, take it easy on my equipment. Oh. Then he stops and breaks the fourth wall and stares right at the camera and gives like a half a smirk. Like, yeah, you know what I meant to say. I, I'm watching. I rewatched it like three times. I'm like you're fucking kidding me. He actually like he breaks the fourth wall, looks at the camera, and goes, "Take it easy on my equipment." Hmm. Wink. I'm like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> it's fantastic. It's my favorite. I never noticed that before. And now it's my favorite. I love Brave Star even more. And now when we do my Brave Star remake, um, when I when I get the rights and hire talented people for no money to make it, uh, that has to be there has to like completely just break the fourth wall and just sexual innuendo throughout the entire film. Well, I'll give you the same warning that should have been given to the people who made this movie. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> <laughs> uh no. Did you have that ready, at, or you just you knew like when uh, you even I, saw this pick, like I'm gonna need that. No, no, I just pulled it up really quick because I figured no. it'd be it fit. It it fit really well. Don't get me wrong. I love Brave Star. I wish this movie uh, were more. And as much as we said, the last thing I want is another live adaptation of an animated film. When I when they finally announce that they are going to make a live action Brave Star movie, I will be there in cosplay. Well, now I might try to uh, kickstart this thing to happen so uh, we could see you in Brave Star Cosplay. You're going to be and... the horse, right? <laughs> uh, his name's 3030. Yes, you're going to be 3030. He's right? not a horse. He's actually an alien species, the last of his kind. <sighs> no, no, I would probably be Deputy Fuzz. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. The only way, and I don't know, you'd almost have to just write him out. Although, somehow... Kevin Smith managed to make Orko pretty badass. Yeah, he um, did. He's a sorcerer. So I, I don't I don't know if you can do the same with Deputy Fuzz. All right, I think the best thing we could do is move on. Nothing. I disagree, but right. now Outlaw Scuzz would be fantastic. Oh. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Many ages ago, when this ancient planet was not quite so ancient, long before man recorded his history, it was the time of Middle Earth, when man shared his days with elves. So I'm talking about the 1977 animated film by Rankin Bass of The Hobbit. Squeezer. Yes. It was d produced and directed by uh, Rankin and Bass. Um, uh, two gentlemen you might know, from Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass, from a little picture called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm -hmm. uh, they did it with this company called Top Craft, which fits into my last pick, because Top Craft folded, and those animators went on to make a little uh, production house called Studio Ghibli. <laughs> Oh, in Japan, yeah. Oh, that's right, because they outsourced a lot for. Uh... Yeah, they would direct and outsource huh. before Korea became the home of animation. It was Japan. <clears throat> um, it's a uh, an adaptation of the 1937 book uh, from J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, and it was first broadcast on NBC in the United States. And s why? Where does that music come from? And s and um. 19, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday, November 27, 1977. And it was, it usually aired around Christmas time. The Hobbit, Squeezer. Mm -hmm. uh, I first saw it in seventh grade, seventh or eighth or ninth grade. Well, I was in middle school 
and we read the Hobbit and we watched this movie. And I remember my, it was ninth. It was eighth or ninth. I can't remember if it was eighth or ninth, but my dad took me to Hamvention in Dayton, Ohio, which was the biggest ham fest that year. Ooh, and, Dayton. Yeah. I was happy. Damn, you I, are a lucky kid. I was happy to go. We drove, uh, in my dad's suburb, we drove to Dayton, Ohio and I was happy. How to old go- were you? Let me get my book. References. I have to get the book, but that had to have felt like an eternity. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, so it probably I was either fourteen or fifteen. Wow! I, I, you see, I was a late bloomer. I didn't have the pleasure of going to Ohio until I was like in my thirties. Well, we went. And that was my first. I told the story before. The first time I ever had ranch dressing, we ate at a Ponderosa. <laughs> I, I remember it. You're like, how do you remember the first time you had ranch dressing? I remember it like the day I was born, Squeezer. Well, you were. Yeah, I was reborn. A ranch dressing. I was a born again dressing fan. Um, so we were watching it in like segments because you don't watch it all the way through in English class. And sure. I was pissed. Because we left for Hamvention and I didn't get to see the end of the Hobbit. <laughs> I went on one. So um, when I, I was in college, when they started announcing Lord of the Rings, Squeezer, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh yeah, like I didn't really know much about Lord of the Rings or Tolkien or that it was a sequel to the Hobbit. Uh, and I'm like, oh, and I see the characters. I'm like, oh yeah, they look like the characters in the Hobbit. Like this is the Hobbit and Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. Baggins. And they're like Frodo. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, I, I was very confused. And uh, so much as that, like after Lord of the Rings, I went out and found a DVD of the Hobbit to rewatch this. And then realized I was like, what the fuck? Why have we watched this? Like, like not like five years later, it was boring as fuck to me. There's a lot of singing and, and the songs were all mm-hmm. based on the actual lyrics that were written in the book. Squeezer. Yeah, he loved his lore. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, the guy wrote a goddamn language. Mm-hmm. In m- many languages, not just one. Many, yes. Um. Yeah, it was. So uh, they thought it was public domain somehow. And at the time, United Artists did a Lord of the Rings animated movie in the 80s. And then... Um, Warner Brothers or whoever, Rankin Bass, did a Return of the King, like a uh, third. It was in the same animation crew and studio uh, did lo- the Return of the King. I'd never have seen Return of the King or uh, the Lord of the Rings animated movies, but uh, the, the Return of the King aired on ABC on Sunday, May 11th, 1980. After a legal challenge filed by the Tolkien estate and fantasy films was settled, critical and fan reaction to the Lord of the Ring, Lord, Return of the King was lukewarm. Yeah, that's why I wasn't initially like, you know, like jumping up and down when, you know, they were putting together Lord of the Rings trilogy because I'm like, oh, uh, I yeah, I, I remember, saw that like, first trailer like, and I, I was back like, to, like, that Hobbit movie. I'm like, uh, I I remember that like I wasn't blown away like it was not my thing. No, I was really excited. I was so super excited. We were there opening night at midnight. Oh, I went opening night because then the tra- yeah the the trailers. I didn't really know. The, I remember someone coming to me and being like, "This film's still soon." And it's like, 
you see the trailer, Lord of the Rings? I was like, no, we watched it on a computer in the, in the one uh, apartment, like a big CRT monitor. Yeah. How long did it take to load? A while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the 1977 Hobbit. Squeezer, your next pick. Enemy warships have entered Earth's solar system. A father's legacy. That ship has the power to reunite the human race. A son's destiny. He must have been here. Who? My father. A journey. Akima, we're gonna stop them. To save the human race. Let's do this! On June 16th, get ready for the next generation of filmed animation. June 16th, only in theaters. Enemy warships have entered Earth's solar system. Launch remaining escape craft. Evacuate. Evacuate. Fifteen years after Earth. Do you want this both played? Ah, don't talk over Power Man 5000. They're pure energy. Yeah, right. Wasn't uh, 311 on the soundtrack? Titan AE rated PG. Should I get out and push? I, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to yell, but I wasn't listening to you anyway. <laughs> I always thought 311 wasn't beautiful disaster on the soundtrack. Uh, might have been. That's why I like. I was like, oh, I know this movie from Beautiful Disaster. Uh, no. Well, yeah, I see that, but... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you got Lip, Power Man 5000. Uh, Urge, Texas, Jamiroquai. Hmm. Luscious Jackson. I always thought it was from... Uh, from... Oh, fuck, this whole time. Everything I believed was true was not true. Hmm. Beautiful disaster. I, I still love you. Um, this movie's got a. I, I I don't I don't know where I land on this. Uh, cause you know me, I I I'm a, I'm a sci-fi guy. I I love the genre, and I was looking into what the problem with it was, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier, like with the medium versus genre, and even you and I agree it is. A medium you could use it's an animation can tell a story but they did a terrible job marketing it marketing it and explaining to people that just because it's animated doesn't mean it's a kid's film like you can tell a good story using animation and grown-ups can go and enjoy it but part of the also problem was it, it didn't tell a great story. It's a rehash of a lot of sci-fi tropes and stuff like that. It's still good, but it's nothing like story-wise groundbreaking. Like we've been here before, father, son, uh, save the humanity kind of thing. Well, I mean, heavy metal kind of did this before. I mean, Titan A isn't porno, but heavy metal tried to make a a movie for adults that was animated. Sure. Yeah. What is Titan but, A even about? It, uh, it, in a few aliens, lines. Give me the napkin pitch, Squeezer, not the MacGyver napkin. pitch. Aliens destroyed a planet. Uh, son tries to carry out his father's legacy and save humanity. Oh, okay. And we are going to blend 
the animation using traditional 2D hand-drawn characters against computer-generated backgrounds and action sequences. Hmm. Some of it really works. Others, and at the time, too, it's like, wow, that is cool. Sure. I watched it last night on demand, and uh, I'm like, ooh, that doesn't blend so well. Like, some of it just kind of really sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, but for 2000, yeah, it was groundbreaking. In the year um, 2000. In the year 2000. It was uh, pro- directed by uh, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. Oh, was it a Don Bluth? It was a Don Bluth. It was really the last legit big Don Bluth. I think he he produced one more film after this. I want to say, where is it? Titan A.E. And then, uh, yeah, this was like his last director-producer one. Then he did, I don't know what, what is Scissor Sisters? Oh. Oh, yeah, it was like a music video kind of concert thing. So, yeah, this was the last thing that he directed and produced. Um, because it uh, bombed miserably. It cost upwards of $90 million to produce, which we all know that means it's a lot more. Uh, and it only raked in $36 billion, or thirty-six. If it made $36 billion, that'd be pretty awesome. $36 million at the box office. Um, yeah, the marketing was, I think, the biggest failure here. It, like they like you throw in a little Power Man five thousand. All right, you might get some kids to go see it, but at the same time, you're releasing it like you're marketing this movie to the same kids that you're marketing the Matrix to. You know, so it's like it's almost like we grew up just a little bit faster. Like all of a sudden, let's like it was they got the green light. You know what? Let's sell our rated movies to kids. It's all good now, kind of thing. Um, and you, you were going for this teenage boy audience mm. that didn't want to watch cartoons anymore. I beg to differ. I don't disagree. But at the time, I, you're talking to a kid that sold off his toys at a yard sale because he thought girls would like him more. So not all of us you know, had the foresight. Okay, we had dark areas, dark periods in our lives, just like Disney's animation studios did. Um, It was produced by Fox Animation Studios. If you haven't heard of them, it's because they weren't around long. Um, They had one other big feature. They produced Anastasia, which was a hit. It was a critical success. It was a financial success. Made a lot of great money, made money. And then their next project was Titan AE, and it was their last project. Uh, Fox had this idea that they were going to compete with Disney. It's like, all right, we're going to start our own animation studio and well, go Fo- head to Fox, head. The problem Fox was, did did uh, um, Ice Age, and they did a, they did a bunch of stuff. Then this was that was after that wasn't Fox Animation Studios though. Oh, that that was 20th Century Fox. Like they produced it, but. The, the some of the people that worked on this, the the same company eventually did go on and they produced Ice Age, mm. um, but it wasn't produced by in house by like completely internally like Fox Animation Studios. Um, they brought in Don Bluth to you know make it make it happen. The problem was too, by the time they got things up and running, like 
that that nine that nineties renaissance for Disney started in eighty eight. I'll I'll give you Oliver and Company. It's a great movie, and if we're talking quality, that's when it started. And it went through the nineties, and then yeah, Mulan and uh, Hercules maybe not too par with Lion King. And then things changed in like the late two thousands. They wanted the the three D stuff, and it was just it was it just something about the time animation in the late nineties and then into the early two thousands and through two thousand ten wasn't the same as it was from in the early nineties. Fox got into the game in the late nineties. It, it's like starting a wrestling promotion in like the early 2000s. Mm. Yeah, and that that's what they did. They they decided, "Hey, we're going to get in the wrestling biz in 2006." Goddamn, pal. Not yeah. a good idea. Uh yeah, it, it it bombed. Um and also what happened was in the process of making the movie, they were losing money because they hadn't produced anything else. <clears throat> so there were cutbacks and they let go uh, out of a staff of 380 people, they let go 300 people. Baby, please, you let go 300 people. You're no longer making the American dream. Hey, what you going to do with 80 people? You can't make no more movies. <laughs> I tell you, I'm the most recognizable film producer since Don Bluth, baby. So, yeah, they laid off a lot of people. They cut back on the marketing. And basically, before the movie was even finished in post-production and then released, everything was kind of falling apart. And not that the actual financials of the movie made a difference, because it was already heading this way. Okay. Ten days after the movie was released, Fox Animation Studios closed. All right. And so, that's the end yeah. of that. Yeah, that, and that was the end of that. I I, I feel like it, there was so much more potential here. It could have been so much bigger. They went for the big... Names like they, it was Matt Damon, Drew Barrymore, Bill Pullman, John Leguizamo. I mean, you give me Matt Damon or shit, you give me Bill Pullman and John Leguizamo in a movie, and I'm gonna go watch it. Did you go watch it? Yeah. Uh, not in theaters. I'm not. Gonna, I wasn't gonna give them my money for that. You know what? I, I went to see in 2000. It was in the what? movie in the movie theater. I saw it at General Cinemas. Uh, my girlfriend oh, really? at the time, no, not this movie. My girlfriend at the time went to see the the Final Fantasy, the Spirits Within movie. Yes, it was fucking awful. I think we talked about it on the show before, but yeah, yeah, that, that was another one trying to appeal. Because uh, I was big into the Final Fantasy games. The Spirits Within. When did that come out? That came out in July of two thousand one. <laughs> Fuck, was that a fucking stinker. Yeah, it was a dark time for animation. No, not really, because Spirit Away came out. Just the, where In America. Well, this came from Japan. <laughs> Final Fantasy Spirits Men. It's just who's oh. doing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all about the artists, not the year squeezer. Well, then, all those artists in the early 2000s were just... Yeah, it was a lull. The 90s were too good. It, it, it made a bunch of soft artists in the 2000s. Uh, when they put the uh, 
uh, Maxim put Aki in a bikini in their Hot 100 list. Um, the, the Uncanny Valley. From uh, from I bought it. Yeah, it was it was really creepy. All right, here is my next. I'm pretty creepy, so. <laughs> They're soaring, shocking, bubbling, and beaming. And on Wednesday, November 10th, you can catch them all in theaters for the first time. Pokemon, the first movie, plus the all-new short Pikachu's Vacation, playing before Pokemon, the first movie. Together, only in theaters, Wednesday, November 10th, both rated G. Would you believe I saw this in the theater? <laughs> yeah, I could. So I was working at KB at the time, and I got completely swept up in Pokemon. Um, I, I played the video, I was playing Pokemon Red on my Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like Pokemon was, I was watching the cartoon after school, just you know. I yeah, I'm not gonna. I I I wasn't like it was good. I wasn't religious. It, with if it, it was it, on, I tuned in to watch. It. it was good, and me and my friend Jeff Raider were like, he's like, oh dude, let's smoke a whole bunch of weed and go see Pokemon, and that's what we did. Sounds like a good time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my K- KB was like Pokemon, like overtook KB toy store. And then like, you know, that Burger King right across the street. Yep. So my dad would like pick me up and then take me to like Burger King for dinner. Cause I didn't eat all day. Like I'd come home from school. I'd take like a nap and then I'd wake up and go right to work. And then he'd pick me up at the end of the night and he'd go, did you eat dinner? No. He's like, oh, it's good Burger King. So I'd get the happy meal with the Pokemon toy trying to get the, whatever the cards there were some solid gold cards i did but but then kids started choking on the pokeballs and dying wait i kind of remember that yeah one kid got it on his nose and mouth and couldn't get it off and died (laughs) yeah there's 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 a pokemon burger king pokemon deaths in 1999 so this came out this came out in america uh, November of 99, I believe. Um, for some reason I remember seeing it in the, I remember seeing it in the summer, but fuck, fuck if I know. It says it came out November 99, so we'll believe that. Cause that makes sense. I was working at KB then uh, for some reason I thought I saw the summer, but we were at school. Uh, maybe I just don't remember it too well. Um, yeah. November 12th, 1999. Yeah. We must have. Yeah, because we saw it in the theater. We were stoned out of our mind. It was fun. Hmm. Uh, we saw that uh, Tilmanate, which I saw so many movies at. Uh, and it was the the debut of Mewtwo. I can't. Re- oh, that was like the big bad. Yeah. So this is the one thing I pulled from this. Um, hold on, I wrote a note down here. I was copying and pasting stuff that I thought was good, and I don't know what I did with it. It was. Um, it was something about the American release. Versus the Japanese release. 
And it was gold. Oh, God. This is good stuff here making me scroll through. It was something like they changed Mewtwo's origin story because he was too sympathetic. The villain was too sympathetic and they didn't think like they said Americans needed a villain they could hate. I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to make it. You don't want to make us think. You don't make us leave a movie and go, you know, what was the bad guy, right? <laughs> I mean, now I think about it more and more. I'm like, you know. If Hans Gruber put that much effort into the planning, fuck John McClane for getting in his way. Mm -hmm. He didn't belong there anyway. Okay, here it is. So, Norman Grossfeld, former president of Four Kids Productions, served as the film's producer for the English-language North American version. Grossfeld, Michael Hannigy, and John Tauhe wrote the English adaptation, and Hannigy served as the English version's voice director. The English script was heavily edited from the original Japanese one, along with the various content edits. Mewtwo was portrayed more maliciously because Grossfeld felt American audiences needed to see a clearly evil villain rather than a morally ambiguous one. As such, yeah. the existential themes seen in the Japanese version were significantly toned down. Are we really that dumb? I think we were in 1999, yes. Oh, we're so much smarter now. Woof. Whew, that's a relief. Yeah, you're right. We are. We're probably worse for wear. All right, here is your last pick. South Park. Invading. We have to get you children off of foul language. Your theater. The machinery of the V-chip emits a small shock of electricity whenever an obscenity is uttered. This summer. You're late, Cartman. I had to ride my back here. My hand is carrying me. You're behind? I have to stay behind because I get shocked if I say... South Park. Bigger. Longer. And uncut. Wow. Rated R. Start June 30th. Only in theaters. Kyle Broflovsky. Dude, is it Cartman's mom? Oh, very funny. It is Cartman's mom. Stan Marsh. Good job, fat boy. Ah, oh, shut up. Kenny McCormick. Did you intend to have two on this? Eric yeah. Hartman. Who wants to touch me? And Satan. Is sex the only thing that matters to you? On June 30th, the invasion begins. South Park. Bigger, longer, and uncut. We accidentally replaced your heart with a baked potato. You have about three seconds to live. Rated off. Start June 30th. Only in theaters. Question. I couldn't choose between the Breeders or Carmina Barana. So. Uh, what uh, What was the original name of the movie that they changed it to Bigger, Longer, Uncut, and the studio went with it? Uh, I, I honestly, I, did you know? You set me up, or no? I knew it was. I can't think of it. I thought you had it in your notes. No, I didn't. I didn't know about the. I know. I know that they were proud that they got it over on the censors because they're like. It's a, it's a cock. double entendre, and, like, yeah, they, they did not get it. Yeah, um, the name was something else, and they're like, you can't have it. So they just jokingly put bigger, longer, uncut, and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, it's a bigger movie. It's longer than a show, and it's unedited. That's right. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a dick joke. Yes. Right there. Um, which makes perfect sense because the entire movie is parodying parodying Yeesh. basically movie censorship and the MPAA and and scapegoating in general and it it picked its perfect target and I, I I loved reading all about 
um, the trailers. So Paramount, who produced it, came to them with like the trailers that they produced for it, and they like, no, this is fucking horrific. Like where it would be like the funniest movie of the summer. Like like kind of like how they would parody themselves. Like if they're watching like Terrence and Philip or something, that's what they came to them with. And they actually took the tape and broke it and sent it back to them. Yes. Uh, there was another instance um, of a music video that they did that they sent them the tape. And they kept the tape, and there was a lawsuit that ensued because they refused to release it. Um, that they, they actually like there were legit battles over the content because, and they even argued it's like, "Are you telling us how to do your job?" And I, I think it was like Trey Parker. He's like, "Yes, because you fucking suck." Um, yeah, a bunch of people in the boardroom trying to market a South Park movie. When the people that make the South Park movie, they know how to market themselves. Like, they didn't need marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the fact is, they were working on this movie before season one was even over. Like, it got approved. Like, okay. Part of the deal so was... the movie was called South Park All Hell Breaks Loose, and the studio chose... The, there was pushback from the MPAA, so they changed it to Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Oh, my God, they're dumb. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because it's so innocent now. All hell breaks loose. Right. Well, that's the thing about... That's what's funny about this. Like, at the time, this got an NC-17 rating, like, initially, because of profanity. Um, And then... Which is ironic, because the whole point of it is that Cartman is being censored. And then they eventually did get their R rating. Part of the deal was that when Comedy Central said, all right, you guys got the show... By the way, you also have a certain budget and time frame to produce a movie. They're like, that's fine, but we won an R rating. And they're like, go for it. And then it was almost too much. And like, no, no, no. And eventually they won out there as well. So um, much, so much has changed. It, like between Netflix and the streamers, between um, and whether you believe it or not, between the movies uh, Hangover and between Deadpool, uh, so much has changed. We got the Peacemaker from from South Park. South Park eventually got us yeah. to watching a fucking Peacemaker show where he calls Batman a yeah. fucking pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, this movie is so tame compared to what happens in episodes down the road. Um, to, to saying shit like 300 times. Well, I was watching, um, I, I was watching, I told you the other night, Sunday night, uh, after the football game, a great football. I mean, I know this isn't the, uh, but one of the best football games I think we'll ever see in our life between Chiefs and Buffalo. Uh, I, I saw the first drive and I saw the last four minutes. It was fantastic. Yeah. So um, I was flipping around channels and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was on FX. And I'm like, what? How the hell are they going to edit this? They don't. All the swears are in it. It's awesome. It's, it is awesome. Because you don't have to. There's no rule saying you don't. It was, it was just convention yeah. that cable channels edited their content you can't do that on broadcast tv right without certain you know warnings regular like saving private ryan i remember was a big deal because they allowed it unedited for profanity and violence but with warnings because the idea was well if we edit this it does a disservice to the people that fought and died in normandy right 
Um, but I mean, the South Park paved the way for just getting away with this shit, and like, well, not and getting Tommy away said, with for re- realizing that that the small vocal minority, the parents' television council, that bitches about this shit. It does not represent the rest of the fucking country who does not give a flying fuck and and it actually enjoys it. Yeah, and then to to real issue like real sensitive issues like um, what's the title of the episode? Uh, All apologies to Jesse Jackson, where they drop the n bomb like forty times. Well, I don't know how good that is, but <laughs> well, no, no, but but the re the 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 pushback that they got. The the NAACP and there are a lot of black groups that were for it because that the way that they handled it or like you guys are right like this is this is actually you're making a point mm-hmm. like the way you used it the way you said it it wasn't to be yeah it was made to be offensive but it was offensive in a productive manner um and but it's funny when you watch this movie and it's so tame compared to what comes on down the road because this came out in june of 99 which is only like two months into their third season which is crazy to think like how long how many years was the simpsons on before they got a movie yeah um and that this was actually in production throughout the entire second and third season and second season and into the third because like now they turn an episode out in a week because they have this process down but there was a lot more time spent they were working on seasons two and three together while they were doing this um and i think the reason i know you have a certain distaste for it per se because it's a musical Mm. um i did not expect it to be a musical going into it we saw in the theater we saw it at uh i think the theater by our studio which was a car mic i think at the time oh on caddy road yeah yeah it was always it was a car mic that was the big Carmike 16. Yeah, Ooh, that, that that's, where, that's where we saw it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, to have it that early on, like, was a was a big deal. And it was like, oh, my God, they're cursed. Finally, we get to hear them curse. And then eventually they do it. And now it's like, it happens all the time. Um, and also, like, playing in, like, the Satan angle and the Sam Hussein angle and the Blame Canada. It, Blame Canada got nominated for uh, best song for huh. an Academy Award. Hmm. It was per, it was performed by Robin Williams on stage at the Academy Awards in the open. It was a little douche chilly. I remember watching like oh, let's just stop this. Um, that was the year when uh, Matt and Trey showed up dressed in drag, high on uh, LSD. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a good time. They lost to Phil Collins' You'll Be In My Heart um, from the Tarzan movie. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which made me feel old because I'm like, no, that that song didn't come out in 99. That song's like came out in 89. <laughs> no, no, it was 99. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And it had some great didn't, cam- um, George Clooney. Didn't they that? do a whole episode making fun of Phil Collins because of that and losing? Uh actually two episodes two episodes <laughs> yeah they did it twice um and a, a ton of uh cameos um george clooney comes back because he was in season, he was in the first he played the voice of the the dog stands gay dog yeah 
because um, he was just a fan of it. Um, Brent Spinner, Data from Star Trek, uh, was the voice of uh, Conan O'Brien. Eric Idle uh, was uh, the doctor that uh, gives Cartman his uh, transplant. And I didn't know this until I actually looked this up today, like just looking for notes and numbers and stuff. But Mike Judge is actually the voice of Kenny when you actually hear Kenny yeah. talk. Yeah, I knew that. I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Fucking, they were he, he, uh, he's a hero of uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. He should be a hero to all of us. He is. He really is. I love yeah. Mike Judge. And I can't wait yeah. to see what comes out of him and Greg Daniels' animation studio. That could be super cool. But, yeah, uh... Yeah, South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. My God, the MPAA is dumb. Sure are. Goddamn, pal. What are you doing? All right, let's, uh, my uh, last pick. Here it is. 25 years ago, they brought us a startling vision of the future. And now... Help! Jane, stop this crazy thing! They're back. All right. In their first feature-length motion picture. Congratulations. Universal Pictures presents Jetsons, the movie. Right. Rated G. Tent-tent. So, this was the last theatrical film, Jetsons, the movie, Squeezer, directed by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera before they died. Uh, yeah, that was their, they gave it up after this. Um, also, the final Jetsons production for 27 years until they did, which I didn't know existed, the Jetsons and WWE Robo WrestleMania. What? Yeah. It's when did that come out? 2017 direct-to-video animated film starring the Jetsons. I... I'm sure Jake has it on Laserdisc. On modern-day Earth, after a live WWE show in Denver... Scheduled to face Sheamus for the WWE Championship in Albuquerque. Uh, Big Show is scheduled to face Sheamus. Uh, on WWE SmackDown the next night, Mr. McMahon cancels the title match due to a snowstorm. Enraged by the cancellation, Big Storm stones out of the arena and flies a plane through the blizzard, only to be lost in the storm when the plane stalls. A hundred years later, a hundred years later, George Jetson is assigned by Mr. Spacely to supervise a project that involves. Robots drilling through the surface of the Earth. And I, I guess they find Big Show and thaw him out. <laughs> so random. Mm -hmm. That That's actually... I kind of love just the idea of that. Because it's very much in the vein of like the Harlem Globetrotter showing up. Yeah. Um, but the Jetsons movies, we actually, this was on some channel, Enchantress and I had it on a few months ago. Uh, she had no idea about it. Um, and a Tiff, this was very like eighties, nineties. They had Tiffany playing the voice of Judy Jetson. Yeah. So, uh, George and the Jetsons moved to some planet that's being mined by, uh, Mr. Spacely, but the mining process is, uh, Disrupting the habitat of these uh, creatures. Who are the creatures? The wrestlers? No, no, no. You were thinking of two uh -oh. movies. Oh. Um, I think his name was Squeep, but I don't know. Oh, we're we're not. 
<laughs> we're, we're in the actual movie that I'm talking about, the 90s movie. Um, uh, in the end, they figure out a way to get at it, and George gets back. But it's just the, this movie was was always really cool, and it had like an eighty soundtrack, and it had it had tie-ins galore. Uh, it was slated for a December '89 release, but they didn't want to go against Little Mermaid and All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, which were released on the same day, surprisingly. Oh, so they're smarter than the people that released. Yes, a rescuers down under against Home Alone. Uh, so they pushed it back and released the wizard in its place. Oh, why would you do that? Um, well, they waited till the summer. This came out July 6, 1990. Uh, during the summer of the film's release, and I remember this summer because it came out, I think the same day as Dick Tracy. We saw both at the drive-in and it might've been a double feature. Uh, during the summer of the film's release, Kool-Aid had a tie-in where Kool-Aid points could be redeemed for Red Jetson's car featuring the cast. However, the promotion was not carried by some theaters, and instead of the Red Jetson's car, the points were redeemed for a miniature film poster. Wendy's restaurants had Jetson's kids' meal tie-in. Uh, when clips were shown on television, scenes with George had re- redubbed lines from an unnamed voice actor. The commercials showed Wendy's founder Dave Thomas either in a theater watching the movie or at a restaurant promoting the film. Ah, the old Dave Thomas Wendy's commercials. Yeah. So good. There was a tie-in simulator ride and the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera at the Universal Studios Florida one month before the film's release. Uh, In the attraction, William Hanna and Joe Barbera state that the Jetsons will star in their next project, presuming the film, uh, which angers Dick Dastardly and Muttley and leads them to kidnap Elroy, Yogi Bear and Boo Boo must save Elroy by riding through the worlds of the Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, and the Jetsons. They also sold merch. And then, of course, 1990 Ralston, which we talked about in the show, Ralston made a Jetsons movie cereal, apple cinnamon-flavored Jetsons cereal to coincide with it. Uh, It flopped. (laughs) (laughs) But not really. It made $20.3 million based on an $8 million budget. But um, uh, Universal spent twelve million marketing, so eh, broke even. Yeah, kind of pretty much. Even. Yeah, which technically all movies in Hollywood don't make a profit. Yeah, yeah. If you believe them, that's why they keep tur- churning them out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my last pick, and that. Yeah, that... you would think <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you would stop making movies if uh, they didn't make money. Right, that's the biggest joke in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Um. So would you say then that? Was Hanna-Barbera the first multiverse? Yeah, yeah. That's been talked about before. Like Kevin Smith's discussed that before many times. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't... Oh, technically comic books were. You know, the whole yeah. comic book yeah, crossover. Makes, yeah. So... But, yeah. Yeah. The Hanna-Barbera as, as far as the, the big screen or... Yeah. You know. Yeah. Huh. Because the Jetsons... They, there was a movie we talked about in the show before. The last episode... Of animated movies, the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. That's one of my favorites. I love it more than this one. Yeah. And and that was part of the there was what was it the Hanna Barbera ten or whatever like they had it was like a series like oh these are the ten crossover movies of the year and they're basically just made for TV movies which is what Jetsons meets the Flintstones was. Mm-hmm. We rented it at Blockbuster. Nice. All right, that's it. Squeeze. Ah. We are done with the show. Um, 
if you would like to ra- ra- or give us a rating on Spotify, uh, screenshot when you do it, send it to me and tell me you want stickers, pins, or a Goon Squad hat or a 2X t-shirt. Uh, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. And it can also be used as a fitted sheet. Yeah, send me. I'll give you the same stuff. Or on YouTube, and I'll give you this. Or just email me and be like, hey, fuck your show. Give me shit. shit. Maybe I'll do it, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's our next week's show, Squeezer? Uh, I would, oh, it's uh, Groundhog Day, right? Groundhog Day. We're talking about the movie Groundhog Day or anything that has to do with Groundhog Day. Um, or you know what? Let's make it even more fun. Something that's that re- feels like Groundhog Day, Squeezer. But let's try and at least talk about one thing from the movie Groundhog Day. Maybe two. All right. But like, let's have fun with the whole Groundhog Day theme of it. Gotcha. Um, and then we're in retro romance, right? No, no, we're Super Bowl uh, commercials. Super Bowl commercials. Then retro romance. Then retro romance. And then we're getting this. We're starting to get in the spring shows. God damn it! Ah, oh, yeah. Damn. The cat show, I think, somewhere in there. Uh, the feline, sh- feline, feline show. Feline show. But that's it for this week's episode of Rad Years Podcast. We'll be back next week. I'm RK. And I'm Squeezer. Bye, everybody.